My name is Demian Dinayeshe. I am a transdisciplinary artist living and working in Portland, Oregon. I'm originally from the Navajo tribe. My clans are Nastaje Tabaje and Toro Chitney. Um, I grew up in Gallup, New Mexico, and I am the founder and director of RISE, which is an initiative de dedicated to um, indigenous artists and activists. Uh, it stands for Radical Indigenous Survivance and Empowerment. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on Broken Boxes podcast today. And um, I guess we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the the fellowship and um, RISE fellowship. And so, yeah, RISE was responding to the lack of representation and support for indigenous queer gender gradient non-conforming trans and two-spirit artists within the you know both both the traditional and uh contemporary indigenous art scenes and movements as of late for the most part um there seems to be both in exhibitions um, and institutional support this uh, legacy of heteropatriarchal or um, heteronormative infrastructures that that continually get support. Um, and so I feel like it, it was making it very difficult for any sort of queer, gender gradient, non-conforming, um, trans or two-spirit artists to really feel like they were supported in a way that allowed them to make the artwork that they needed to, whether that was responding to, responding to or heavily like embedded within like this traditional or contemporary infrastructure. So yeah, I feel like um, the, the fellowship was a way for rise to respond to the perpetual heteronormative heteropatriarchal cycle of art funding and support that is given out on a annual or consistent basis within the uh, contemporary and traditional art spaces. And uh, I felt that it was important to address and provide a fellowship that was providing support for hyper-marginalized communities. And by hyper-marginalized, I mean, again, this indigenous, queer, gender gradient, non-conforming, trans, or two-spirit contingent within indigenous communities. You know, I, I, I would even throw in, um, you know, feminist and matriarchal uh, communities as being hyper-marginalized. However, I still feel like heterosexual women within indigenous communities um, have more support than queer, trans, gender-graded, non-conforming, or two-spirit artists. 
not to dismiss the fact that there's like missing and murdered indigenous women, you know, and, and the, the amount of sexual violence on reservations that exists and off of reservations that exist because of like settler colonial like influence and impact that like that's not we're not dismissing any of that. We're more we're 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 interested in responding to um, the types of like of institutional support and exhibition support or just overall support for an artist making work. You know, there's a complete lack of queer, gender, gender gradient, non-conforming, trans and two-spirit artists and poets within the larger contemporary indigenous art movements and scenes and exhibitions and such. And so this is really a, a, also a way for us to, you know, throughout, throughout Rise's, um, Rise's career, there's always been this question of like, how many of us are out there? Like, how many, like, you know, for the longest time, like, I feel like Kent Monkman was like the, the, the top indigenous, like queer or for, or first nations queer artists, like out there, like really making a name for themselves. And I believe that's changed. And I'm sure that there are, are a ton of like indigenous and first nations artists, um, throughout history who were queer or maybe just didn't have, maybe didn't live in a time period where it was comfortable for them to like be up in front about their sexuality because of like ongoing forms of like violence and erasure through settler colonialism. Like, you know, the, the pilgrims come over and like, that is like, like first introduction of like homophobia and like transphobia in the United States. Like, Settler colonialism was, like, not about respecting indigenous bodies. And through, like, the influence of, like, settler colonial religion, there's no respect for other forms of sexuality other than heterosexuality. And so, you know, this was this was also a really amazing um, opportunity for RISE because we were able to, in a sense, like, we're, we're able to, like, build community with, like, the applicants, you know, like, I know that we weren't able to like fund everyone and the application process was probably difficult for some people to like to sit through. I mean, the, the, the questions we were asking, like, you know, I probably wouldn't have been able to like answer like five or 10 years ago. And so I think it's a challenging process. I think if you don't have access to the internet or, or good documentation or even some of the language that's, that's, included into the application i think it's really difficult to come to the table and feel like you know you're you're challenging your practice or your practice is like is performing at the same level as like an, an, an urban indian who like went to an art school and so um i think it's really amazing that we received as many applications that we did you know there was 35 applicants this year and there was twice that number who had inquired about the application but just didn't go through the whole process for whatever reason and so you know that sitting down and looking at some of the questions you know one one of the applicants was like i i've never done this before i don't know how to do this you know we realized that like there are applicants and artists and poets who are out there who may just need help trying to figure out how to do this. So, you know, I think next year, like what, what we hope to do is either provide like a guidebook, some sort of like resource PDF, or even do some sort of like web session that like 
allows us to like really help some of the applicants out through the process and help them feel confident in writing an artist statement or doing an artist biography or even knowing how to like document something in a in a professional way like just using something like your your iPhone camera. You know, there's there's just little tricks that that we can riff off of. That said, you know, there were there was 35 responses, there were 35 applicants um ranging from like Métis to um Havasupai to Dene. There were um two indigenous uh, African members who are a part of a collective who had applied. And so, you know, we were also really interested and are continually interested in like this word indigeneity. And that wasn't something that like we felt like we wanted to create any sort of like parameters or borders around. We strongly considered that applicant. We didn't, we wanted to expand beyond like settler colonial borders and figure out different ways of like providing support for one another because, you know, all indigenous communities face some sort of like settler colonial trauma and it impacts the work. It, it fucks up our ancestry. Like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a disease. It's, it's toxic. And then some of the feedback that we got, I mean, we were like asking some people about whether or not they felt that they had any sort of support by their tribal community. Um, overall, the number, you know, the, the percentage was around like 31% with a wide range of answers, you know, responding to ways in which they feel like there's this complicated re relationship between how they feel support by their tribal communities in different forms, like the different levels of like support that, that a tribal community is able to like give you and how it becomes complicated. Like when you're an indigenous queer or two spirit artist, the application site that we use ended up turning it into a graph. Um, but that, that graph ended up showing us that 31.4% of the applicants felt that they were supported by their tribal communities. 8.6% um, of the applicants um, comfortably said that they did not feel supported. And so, you know, every other person who responded beyond that, I don't know what the percentage is right now, had some sort of like complicated re response. You know, one person was like, felt that they didn't feel like they had a, a tribal community. You know, oftentimes the response was like, I both feel supported and not supported. Like it's a complex issue. Um, I feel supported most of the time, but like not all of the time, like my, my sexuality, um, or my gender construct, like doesn't feel like it's supported, but you know, I feel supported in other ways. Um, another, uh, graph that, that, that emerged out of this whole application process was whether or not <clears throat> applicants felt that they were supported by art institutions or organizations, 37.1%. Um, of, the, of the applicants felt that they did not feel supported by our institutions or organizations, whereas 25.7% comfortably felt like they um, had some sort of like institutional or organizational support. But again, there's like, there's this huge, almost a third um, of the graph that, again, is answering in this very like, uncertain like terrain, like, 
I feel supported and I don't feel supported. Like I feel intimidated to participate. So, you know, I, I feel like this is a really good way for us to like be thinking about these things and even questioning like the spaces that we inhabit or the way that we inhabit spaces or the, the, the way that we aren't like allowed access sometimes. And so, you know, I, it's, it's been a very um, cathartic process going through the application process, like, especially just trying to understand and, and ask yourselves like questions in relation to like how one's like sexuality or gender identity, like informs a creative practice and the ways in which that, that it is informing your creative practice. Like when, when we were first thinking about the application process, we were thinking about like ways in which like the larger queer mainstream art movement is its own thing. And it sometimes comes, comes on in this like settler colonial way as well. That is like pushing this like Western construct, like gender and sexuality construct. And so, you know, we were really thinking about the ways in which we could insert like our own like indigenous forms of like sexuality and gender identity into like a larger art movement, but more importantly, like into our own art practices. Um, I think it's really important for us to like to consider and 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 completely like become confident working outside of this like Western normative construct um, or constructs. I think that ultimately is is what will you know allow us to like build our own our our own communities and like forms of support, whether they're like financial or emotional, physical ancestral or whatever you know like i feel like ultimately like being able to understand or imagine or enact the ways in which like indigenous ideas of like sexuality and gender identity existed prior to to settler colonial contact could be like reawakened like through an artistic practice or even through poetry like that's an important thing for us to to consider. So anyway, that's a little bit about the application process. I hope that made sense. Thank you for sharing all of that. And then do you want to break down who the recipients are and how, how they were decided and any honorable mentions and how you responded to the applicants who you weren't able to accept funding this year through the fellowship? Yeah, so uh, this being the first year, you know, uh, I mean, this is the first time I've done this sort of, uh, I or, or, or Rise has done this sort of thing. Like, for the most part, it's been, like, more of an exhibition-type vibe. So, like, you know, doing a call for art, getting back, like, similar, I mean, not, not exactly similar responses, but in terms of, like, getting an artist bio or statement or a CD and resume and samples of work, like, that was familiar territory. But, like, trying to whittle down, like, how we select an applicant, like based on different types of like criteria that we had set up. You know, I, I think that that was like the most challenging part and doing so in a way that was like not following um, completely like the way other applications tend to, you know, ask things of the, of the applicant. So like, for instance, you know, sometimes an application will be like, why is this your time? 
you know, like, why do you deserve this money right now? Like, what benefit can this have to your to to your practice? And for this application, we really strayed from like asking that question because we didn't want people to feel like they were trying to like justify their practice. You know, we we wanted to really try to get a, an overall sense of someone's trajectory, like where they where they've been, where they're headed. Um, but coming out of it, we we totally see like the benefit of asking a question like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe not asking it in in terms of being like, why is this your time? Like, why do you deserve this money right now? Because that comes off as a little like forceful, and I don't know. It, it it just always rubbed me personally the wrong way. But maybe asking in a way that that is more sincere, and you know, other applications would be like how could this fellowship benefit you? How could this opportunity benefit you in your practice? Like what could these funds be going toward? And I think that becomes helpful in the sense that you get a greater idea and sense of like where the artist is and like what types of exhibitions or projects they have and how like this money could definitely benefit them. But I, I, you know, because this is unrestricted, like another aspect that, that, comes through the fellowship is like and that we want to like lay down like very clear to like the recipients is like if you want to like eat this fellowship to like take care of yourself to like pay some bills like get caught up get caught up on things like go on a vacation or like do something like extraordinary for yourself and your community like or even just like buy new equipment like whatever you want to do with it like do what you need to do right now in like your career in your life to like sustain yourself if that's like getting a gym membership or like going to acupuncture or like flying across the country to like hang out with your friends for like a week or something like you know all these things are like valid forms of of self-care and helps us helps the creative practice get to where it needs to be and so that's one thing that that I think the initial um, the initial opposition to include that question um, that's where that came into play was like we understand that sometimes people just need this money to like pay the bills and like survive and sometimes that's like really important um, so maybe just figure out in the future like how to rephrase that could be helpful um, but for the uh, application like criteria and the guide that uh, Rise had given out to the judges, um, who I will go into in a second, it was like asking if whether or not the artist had met the criteria and eligibility requirements, you know, those being like, is the artist indigenous? Like, are they queer, gender gradient, non-conforming, trans, or two-spirit? Do I, do they identify within this, this spectrum? That was something that we were super, super critical about. Because we didn't, that, that, that's who the, the opportunities are set up for. Those are the community folks who, like, are hyper-marginalized and don't have access or space. Um, those are the voices that we're interested, at least with this fellowship, in um, supporting and uplifting and amplifying and really just getting out there and being like, who the fuck else is out there, like, making this work right now? And, like, who has not had this platform before to, like, really be asking themselves um, these questions about their artwork. Other aspects of the, of the, uh, the fellowship criteria involved, um, whether or not the applicant showed like 
growth in their work and if they were less experienced like was there a strong potential like for development you know does the um does the artist or poet have a clear understanding of their practice does the supplementary information given like through the application support the work demonstrated in the accompanying materials and these are these are questions that i feel like some of the applicants like um stumbled on but is also i think like something the application process and a future like guidebook or info session could help like clear up and helping future artists and applicants like navigate these questions in a way that um, is clear and coherent through the application process. Other aspects um, and priorities for RISE's fellowship was supporting indigenous artists who are challenging contemporary ideas of indigeneity and queerness, as well as like, you know, uh, gender gradiency and such through the fields of poetry and artistic practice. We wanted to make it clear that we wanted to support artists and poets who are excelling in their voice and whose work um, could heav heavily disrupt settler colonial heteropatriarchal tones that are prevalent within contemporary indigenous art and culture. These are priorities that I feel like most institutional spaces should have like at their foundation, but oftentimes do not. You know, and through even um, our selection of the judges, like that was what we also wanted to like. That that's what Rise like sought after through the judges was like artists and organizers and, and curators who are like actively like asking themselves these questions, actively like providing spaces for um, these communities, artists who have an anti-settler colonial, anti-capitalist, and um, anti-heteropatriarchal praxis, like, already embedded into what they're doing. Whether that's organizing an event, making a piece of artwork, or putting together an exhibition to showcase other artists. We, we chose jurors that, you know, are, are at the same time, like, really considering and challenging the way both traditional and contemporary um, indigenous artwork are functioning within like a a, a contemporary art movement I, and I think these are questions that like you know other institutions and um, foundations like don't ask themselves oftentimes they create this like binary between traditional and contemporary and they become very restrictive and continue in this like settler colonial agenda and so trying to organize this fellowship, you know, we were really trying to like break down the way this process has been and really like evaluate the way that even indigenous, no matter how fucking traditional, like and and spiritual and ancestral they are, like they are still tied to this like settler colonial conservative assimilationist mindset. Um, and they perpetuate that on a consistent basis. And that's not what we're about. Like, it may happen, like, sometimes because it's a really fucked up, like, road to travel. And, like, this is, the this is, like, the world we were, like, literally born into. But, like, we're trying really fucking hard not to enact that. And do so in a way that, like, perhaps, like, these artists get a sense of that. And in the future, through their artwork, lay that groundwork within their own practices and leave remnants behind for like future generations to even like further improve on that terrain. Because I mean, you know, shit like six generations down the line, like even what we're doing could be like basic as fuck. 
And like, <laughs> but we're making an attempt, you know, we're trying to like break down the way that, that, um, just, the, just, just like the, the framework that is set up, you know, that was revolutionary like 20 years ago is now outdated. And they're all just like bringing their like, <laughs> their basic shit to the playground and we don't want to play with them. <laughs> Well, that's what I really appreciate about Rise is that it's like there there becomes this point at which it's like, do you want to sit there and complain and point the finger and be the victim of this long legacy of like settler colonialism and these ideals and this categorizing and boxing and separating? Or do you want to spend that energy and like create the work and the space that you see lacking. And I think that's what this fellowship and what Rise in general does. It's like you're just making the space that you see not existing and not being upset that you're not being in, involved in those narratives that are toxic and highly problematic anyway. Yeah, I mean, some some people have responded and been like, thank you for holding this space or for doing this. And it's like, well, you know, we have to do it. Like, unfortunately, like, we're the ones who have to do it ourselves. And we have to build a community ourselves and support one another. Like, at the at the end of the day, like, that's what it comes down to. Like, whether or not we agree with each other's artwork or whether or not we're at, at the same level or whether or not we have problems with, like, the way somebody is representing their tribe or, like, their sexuality or whatever the fuck ever. Like, that is also, a, 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 like, settler colonial, like, mindset you know like we at the end of the day like there's so few of us in numbers but we're like we're getting stronger like you know as the years go by um we just gotta like rise up and like support one another any way any which way we can even if we like even if we contest it i mean this is something that's like even difficult for like myself to do on a on a consistent basis like i don't like me personally as an artist like, you know, I feel like I don't agree sometimes with other artistic practices, but I try my hardest to, like, recognize where that comes from, from inside myself. And it's not always successful. It's not always easy. But this is an opportunity where I'm able to, like, allow something to exist in the world, take a step back and facilitate it in a way that is more like giving background information into the application process and answering questions and allow, like... Uh, an artist panel to like come in and like make those decisions. And, you know, at, at the end of the whole application process, you know, like there was a general consensus with like, you know, who, who received this year's fellowship and like who the honorable mentions were. And one of the panelists was like, is that okay with you? And I was like, no, like this is nothing to do with me. Like I'm just here to help facilitate everything. Like y'all decided like what you wanted to do. Like I'm just, I'm just helping this process like the best way that I can asking questions, throwing in like information, just being, just being a resource and helpful during this process, you know? Okay. So maybe this is a good time to go into um, who the judges were. Yeah. Uh, this year's judges consisted of three indigenous, queer, uh, gender gradient or nonconforming trans and two spirit artists and, um, and organizers. Um, curators like people who are heavily involved in the arts rice had chosen uh hank cooper who was the arts program manager at daybreak star indian cultural center 
um, up in Washington. Hank, for their thesis paper, had done had done some work around like indigenous queer and like two spirit artists, and had conducted all these interviews with like various artists. And so, you know, I feel like Hank has a really good understanding of like the lack of representation and the need for like more representation within the art world and the ways in which like indigenous queer and two-spirit artists are navigating different spaces and different identities and different settler colonial um, fantasies and fucked up terrain territory. The other panelist was Kevin Holden, who is an artist and co-director of a zine called Locus, uh, a post-queer nation zine. Kevin is is an artist who is actively like navigating these spaces and like asking themselves these questions um, about their practice and has experience working with a local organization known as PICA, which is Portland Institute for Contemporary Art. And so I feel like Kevin was bringing in this like younger generation vibe in terms of like having somewhat of a familiarity of a contemporary art movement that like that is already established and also like asking themselves questions about like the oncoming contemporary art movement. And the last panelist is yourself, uh, Ginger Dunnell, the founder of Broken Boxes podcast and a co-contributor of Indigenous Goddess Gang and Dear Patriarchy. And I chose Ginger yourself um, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, because of your familiarity with like Broken Boxes podcast, like speaking with practicing and working and sometimes even like very well established like Indigenous artists who have like went through, who have navigated like the contemporary artist scene. Um, who are navigating the contemporary art scene, who are up and coming, who do experimental work, who really challenge these ideas and aren't afraid to have this like socio-political agenda. And so, you know, I feel like all these artists, all the panelists are asking themselves these questions as well, both within their practice, but also in the ways that they're navigating their indigenous identity and the way that they're navigating like art spaces whether they're like institutional, like um, experimental, like somebody doing it like out of their like garage or whatever, like you know, the, the panelists have like a wide range of familiarity of different types of institutional support or non-support. I also wanted to include somewhat of a like of an intergenerational scope. And so there's a slight range and experience and age that, that, that comes into play with some of the, some, some of the panelist selections. Um, just for everybody listening to know, we're going to be interviewing all of the selected artists, but I really want Demian to introduce and announce and give us some relationship to the people who were chosen as the recipients for this year's Rise Fellowship. So Drum roll, please. <laughs> Damien, would you like to do the honor? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it was really difficult, I think, having to make this decision for the panelists. You know, having to, to weed through the applications and see, like, so much, like, diversity in the way that um, these artists are creating artwork but also, like, just to see, like, the vibrancy of, like, indigenous culture, like, emerge and shine through. That was really beautiful. You know, we were very um, 
blown away and captivated by much of the work of the applicants. All that to say, at the end of the um, the, the panelists' uh, process, we kept coming back to Catherine Paul, also known as KP, also known as Black Belt Eagle Scout. And we felt that the ways in which Catherine Paul was was and is currently like navigating space both within like the the art world but also through um the sound and music music community we really just felt like the the work itself was like really strong and even challenged us to like consider the way the ways in which like indigenous music um indigenous identity indigenous culture like comes through sound comes through like the creation of music and also realizing that like not not many fellowships like carve out space for like musicians and and the fact that like you know queer female two-spirit artists like just don't have that like representation or stronghold within the music community also really like stuck out to us for their debut album like much of the instrumentation on the record was done by um Catherine Paul and so we were really also just really impressed in the ways in which Catherine had this very like punk and DIY um aesthetic to their practice putting out the record like touring for the record, um, doing the instrumentation on the record. In, in the application, like, she even notes, like, how it's important for, like, an Indigenous, like, woman to be doing this work. It's empowering, especially when, like, you know, as previously noted, like, when, you know, missing and murdered Indigenous women's voices are silenced on, like, a daily basis. So we, we, we really felt like the work that Catherine was doing was, like, showed, like, great potential to... Um, spreading awareness across multiple platforms. I was, I mean, I was personal. I, I, I become personally captivated in it because, like, through trying to, like, even, like, imagine, like, different ways that indigenous culture or indigenous sounds, like, influence something, like, it's interesting to me because, like, you could even imagine, like, something like feedback having, like, a similar sound to, like, that of, like, a flute or, like, something like natural hurt within nature you know so it was even just like reimagining the way that that some sort of like digital tool can be utilized to like reference like indigeneity or like indigenous culture or indigenous sound and there's really beautiful moments in that record where that happens Catherine ended up being the lead recipient for rise's fellowship because they're badass creating beautiful meaningful work and who is currently working on future projects you know a a a follow-up to uh mother of my children uh which was their debut album and is beautiful and amazing Mm. but yeah and thanks to a very generous donation. You know, the, the, the fellowship in general was self-funded through uh, a lot of the work that Rise does. We, you know, put out zines and sell t-shirts and, and posters. Posters that, you know, are available for free over the internet, but like have been requested um, as a way to, uh, as a way for people to donate to the work that Rise does. And so, you know, we were able to 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 fund the the initial one thousand dollar artist fellowship, 
Um, but thanks to a generous donation, Rise was also able to offer two additional fellowships in the amount of $500. And, um, you know, we were equally as blown away by the work that Wes Harmon is doing and Fabian Romero. Wes Harmon is a First Nations artist, multidisciplinary, like doing some really interesting things with text, also has this like DIY punk mentality, but is also like through their artwork, you see this traditional aspect and um, reverence toward their culture mixing in with this contemporary indigenous identity and indigenous aesthetic. But like whether or not like those two things and the emergence of those two things are like intentional is not really relevant because you know, through their work and their practice, you see this, like, you see them, like, foraging their own path in this, like, really beautiful way that just, like, shoots past that binary and is just holding really strong ground. And we were, you know, we were really, really impressed by the work that, that Wes is doing. And, you know, like, thankfully for this, like, generous donation, like, we're, we're able to, like, support the work that they're doing, um... The other Rise Fellow is Fabian Romero, who is an indigenous an, an indigenous poet, um, currently creating really beautiful, powerful, empowering, challenging, and unsettling work through poetry. Um, they've also done some like really interesting um, visual poems, but they're they're you know through their work speaking about ancestry and community tying it back to border issues and immigration. And that was one thing that the Rice Fellowship really wanted to do as well, is like reach outside of, you know, even indigenous cultures in the United States, like completely just disregard that border and really figure out ways that we can support one another. And, you know, this is, this was a really beautiful opportunity for us to do that. And we're thankful for, you know, the work that like Catherine and Wes and Fabian are doing on a consistent basis. You know, as uh, I, I know that, you know, sometimes when you offer an award to someone like this, thanks comes back to the space who is providing the support. But like, you know, we want to be clear, like, this is our form of gratitude for the work that is already existing. Like the work that these artists are doing are bringing them into these spaces, are giving themselves these opportunities so we're thankful for the work. We're thankful that there are like people who are out there um, doing this on a continual basis. Like these issues are really difficult to even talk about, to even think about. And the fact that like we have to spend our lives like unraveling this, it's something that like not every single person survives. It's not something that every single person knows how to turn into art or poetry. It's not something that everyone wants to think about you know we are communities that experience like trauma ancestral trauma like on a daily basis and we're just thankful that these artists and all the applicants are out there making work in their communities providing space and being brave enough to do this or maybe not even being brave maybe being like scared and like you know, feeling like so much fear to do it, but like pushing through that and still doing it. Like we want all these artists to know and understand that like their work is invaluable. It is important. It, it, it deserves a space. It deserves to be appreciated and respected. 
that all that to say, <laughs> we also um, would love to address three honorable mentions for this year's cycle. Cleo Kiana, who is a poet and really just a really captivating and interesting person. Um, they're also a storyteller, an actor, you know, just has this like multidisciplinary practice. Another um, honorable mention is this collective uh, known as Aomar. Uh, it's capital A, lowercase u, and then in all caps, M-A-R. Um, they are an indigenous collective doing, you know, multidisciplinary performative work. And uh, this is another application that we looked at very closely because they are also talking about indigeneity um, within like their African ancestry. And this was another instance where we were really interested in the work that other um, indigenous communities are doing. Um, the questions are asking themselves about sexuality and uh, different types of like gender constructs that either existed or, or have not existed, you know, prior to like settler colonial contact. You know, how do we imagine like the ways that indigenous like sexuality or or gender can be formed or reformed or evolve um and the last honorable mention we'd like to recognize is dakota alcantara camacho who is doing some really interesting and captivating work within their community primarily through hip-hop so we really wanted to you know in addition to recognizing the the fellows this year also just uh, take a moment and, you know, honor some other work that is equally as compelling. I mean, every single applicant had some really amazing and beautiful work. It's a shame that we can't, you know, extend more funding, channel more funding in that way. But, you know, as, as previously stated, like, we, we intend to do this again next year. We intend to help each applicant, like, bring their best selves through the application. You know, even these honorable mentions for next year are completely, fully encouraged to apply again. A lot of the, um, through even notifying the, the applicants who um, did not receive support this year, so much like love has like come back from the applicants, just being like so supportive and and so compassionate about like what the fellowship is doing, and we're so completely like grateful like for that support. Even even in spite of like not getting funding, like the ways in which they are lovingly like doing this through their creative practice and re simultaneously recognizing like the importance this is on their community is like phenomenal. To come to the to, to the table with like that much grace is amazing. Um, I think the next steps out of this application process, because there was so much beautiful work. One one other thing that we're we're offering in in addition to the fellowship is to. Um, assemble a zine that will showcase the artwork and the poetry from this year's uh, fellowship applicants. Whoever is interested in doing that, we would love for this next volume of Survivance to honor the work of this year's applicants. Um, and with that, you know, we're able to offer some honoraria and stipend for the work. So, you know, I feel like, you know, at the, at the, at the end of the whole application process, like, we're still able to like provide some sort of support to people's processes, to people's like artistic practices, to people's endeavors. We're just completely like thankful that like these people even trusted us to like view their artwork, to go into like 
these really vulnerable spaces and to do so on a continual daily basis. So I, I just want to say thank you for, for doing that work. My name is KP. Uh, I'm from the Swinomish Indian tribal community, and I am a Nupiak. And I identify as a queer person. Um, and I am also um, cis, and I am femme. <laughs> and um, what does your practice consist of? What type of work do you do? What artistry? Let's see, what type of work do I do? I'm a musician. I play the guitar, I play the drums, I play all sorts of instruments, really. Like, I play the piano, and I play under a name called Black Belt Eagle Scout, currently. That's my band, and I record music, and I play live, and I record albums, and I tour around the world. <laughs> I'm going to tour around the world, hopefully. I tour around the United States currently, but hopefully soon I will tour around the world. Mm. You were honored as the lead um, recipient for the for the RISE Fellowship, for the first RISE Fellowship that they have ever launched. And um, can you describe what does being the RISE Fellowship recipient mean to you as someone who identifies as you do, as queer, gender gradient, and as somebody who um, who does the type of work that you do? What was what was what was your feeling around this, like applying and receiving it? Yeah, so I feel very honored, and I think that I mean I feel very seen as somebody who is a queer person. Um, I have a really good group of uh, friends and a great community here in Portland. And um, I, I mean, to be honest, I was a little bit surprised that I won because I sometimes like as like a femme woman and as like a, a, a cisgendered woman, I feel very seen. And I was like thinking about how many other people who identify as queer or in that like family of identities, like how many people are out there who are artists and who are poets and who are working um, with their identity. And so I was like, okay, that's neat that I was picked, but I also like was wondering, like, I don't know. I, I want to be able to be respectful to other people and other identities. Um, and I feel that, so I feel very honored that I was chosen 
But I also understand that, you know, there are so many other identities out there who are doing really important work in their lives. So that's kind of how I feel about it. But I'm really, really thankful that I was um, chosen because then that means like I can continue doing the work that I'm doing and continue making the music that I'm doing and with some help. Um, I'm recording an album right now, so having some um, help financially is like really, really helpful (laughs) to me and um, for what I'm doing. So I I feel very, very thankful for that and thank uh, like all of the, all of the folks on the committee for like seeing, seeing who I am and seeing what I'm doing. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to like, really own the all the like kaleidoscope of feelings that come come around like receiving something that is geared towards um like queer and gender gradient people especially as if you navigate in the world as a cis person but I think there tends to be this really beautiful space where the line of queerness can be broken down as well, you know? And I think that that's something really beautiful to consider that that you can hold a space where you can use your privilege to bring transparency to issues that um, the communities that you love and respect and are part of can have visibility through, you know? It feels like your work might do that. And let's let's talk about your work. Let's talk about what your process is. How how do you go about creating um, creating the work you do? Is it produced by yourself? Do you write everything? What what do you what is that like for you? Yeah. Um, first of all, that's so true. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah. the The work that I do is is based on my identity. Basically, like I play guitar and I sing. And I do so to figure out who I am and to go through um, a process of feeling more like myself. And a lot of that has to do with my queer identity, but also my indigenous identity and figuring out how those two fit together and how they can also be apart sometimes. Um, Sometimes I end up feeling more a part of my indigenous culture than my queer culture or vice versa. And then sometimes in situations where I have amazing people around me who are queer and who are indigenous, those melt together. So a lot of the music that I play, it's because I have a lot of feelings about that and I try and figure out who I am and what it means to me to, to be in this world. Um, sometimes it's really sweet, beautiful music. Sometimes it's really loud and angry and I, I'm a multi-instrumentalist. So I play the drums and I play a guitar, I play piano and I sing and I make my own music in a form that a band could play, essentially. So the music that I write under Black Belt Eagle Scout, all of it's me. I do everything. But then when I perform live, I perform with my friends, and they um, help me play the songs to a crowd of people so that 
you know, there's that live experience of people understanding who I am as an indigenous queer woman. Mm. And so you said that you're working on a, a new album right now. Can you tell can you tell us what what is kind of the the concept behind the work and where you are at in the process and when we can expect to receive it as public? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so I am working on a new album. I'm going to record it in about 2 weeks. So every little moment I have, I'm just kind of playing music. (laughs) Um, The album is still about identity and it has more to do with community and bringing in a community of of people around me. The last album that I did was um, very much about grief and about loss and about love um, this, there's still elements of that in this next album because I feel like, you know, as a person, you sometimes you can't always forget things that have gone on in your life. And especially if you're writing music about it, it tends to come up again. So this album, though, like, I'm very much thinking when I play the music about my friends and about what our lives are like um, right now and also continuing to figure out my um my identity and 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 my relationships with people so that the album is 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 um about that stuff (laughs) (laughs) and um so i'm recording it in two weeks and then um i think it's gonna be available to the public sometime next year i'm not entirely sure when though Mm. yeah that's really exciting. And do you feel like that um, the support that Rise was able to offer you has come at the right time for the work that you're approaching right now? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm actually really excited to be able to meet you. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me <able> too. To- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And also to be able to to be a part of um, a bigger community of really amazing Native artists, Indigenous queer people, like, that's really beautiful to me. And I feel like RISE is really amazing because, you know, they bring people together um, and are able to offer that community. So I, especially right now with how my album is going like that's kind of a, a perfect fit for this theme it's like this is what I'm writing about this is you know who I am right now and I'm I'm so like very very honored and and think that everything is beautiful about how Rise works so yeah mm-hmm. it, it did not come at a, a perfect time and um do you have any advice that you can offer to young folks out there, young queer, indigenous um, artists, musicians who are struggling, who need who need some kind of advice, anything that's like carried you through that you could share um, with the listening audience? Yeah, um, keep going. I think that that is something that can be hard for people, but even if even if you write something, even if you play something, if you paint something, if it doesn't like look good or feel good, like just keep 
doing it because you know maybe you'll come back in like a week or two and you'll see something different in it and it'll make make you feel better or um it'll be you know helpful for people so sometimes i think that it can be easy to give up but don't like just keep keep going and keep doing um keep creating keep making art um and i think that it's especially important for indigenous people and people who um, do live in what um, is sometimes referred to as like a minority life, like being queer, um, maybe like coming off of a reservation, living in a reservation. Like it's really important for those types of people to keep, to keep creating. And I think that when where I grew up, so I, I'm from, I primarily grew up on the Swinomish Indian Reservation. That's where my dad's from. And he um, and my mom, like, I'm from a very, very traditional family. Like, always be quiet, always be, like, still, always, you know, follow behind the parents, that sort of thing. And that's how I was raised. And I mean, I kind of loved it because now I, I just see how important it is to respect your elders and to respect your culture. Like, it's very important to do that. And so I think that, you know, if you're like a, a, a kid that's listening, if, if you're like on a reservation somewhere, like, and you're like that, you're like, okay, I'm with my family, like, and I do art or something like that. Like, it's really, really important to keep, keep those things because also like our culture is what is, is, um, a part of that. And it's ingrained in ourselves, I feel like. Mm. So I feel like there are a lot of teachings that you can learn as a kid that can keep, like help keep you going. And I definitely had that. So I think what I'm trying to say right now is that it's important to listen and it's important to, to be, um, find that respect for yourself and for the, our, our environment, your elders, our culture, because that's, that's really good medicine to help you keep doing what you're trying to do in life, you know? Mm. And when did you when did you leave home? When did you begin this career where you fell into that um, to that next step of yourself and like um, exploring your artwork outside of your home environment, your space that you had with your family? Yeah. Um, so I live right now in Portland, Oregon, and I moved here um, when I. Uh, graduated high school. I went to college here and I've lived here ever since. I got a job right after college and I've had that job ever since. So I've sort of been, it's been a stable life for me. <laughs> so I've, I've been, I've been, that's why I've been, that's why I've been here so long. But I, I started playing music when I, well, the kind of music that I play now when I was in high school, um, so my, the Swinomish um, tribe is in Northwest Washington state and it's right next to uh, the, a city called Anacortes and Anacortes has a really thriving music scene. A lot of um, DIY musicians are from that area and I was able to, you know, go 
over to the, you know, make the drive 15 minutes west and go to the city and to be a part of that um, music community. And that was really helpful for me to feel like, you know, I want to create music. I want to do this. Like I want to, and not, not so much that I want to, but I can, um, because the community over there is, is, um, uh, an all ages community. They, they really encourage that. So I think that in order to do what I am doing now, I feel like I also needed to, to step out of the reservation and to go into a population that was pretty much mostly white. Mm. And, um, that was an interesting thing for me. I like, I didn't really think about it like that. Um, when I was doing it, I sort of, after a few years, I started thinking about like, Whoa, like I was this like girl from this reservation and I was like driving over to go to these like concerts. And I was like the only one, like I didn't, there's no one else from my reservation that was going and doing these things. And it's cause I loved the music. I was, I was really into it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I think about like how I have to step I had to step out for a bit and then come back and then create it in in my own way. Mm, through your own lens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly through my own lens. Mm. Um yeah. So yeah, and that's essentially how I learned about all of this amazing music that the um Northwest has. And that's why I moved to Portland um, because of different types of bands like the Riot Girls scene and um, a lot of uh, queer women um, who played in bands um, lived in Portland. And I wanted to be a part of that community. Um, when I was growing up in Swinomish, like I, it was. It was, I, I wasn't out as a queer person. I, I didn't come out until I had moved to Portland and been a part of a queer community and felt like I could like, um, come out to my parents and my family. It was really hard. Um, but it's, it's kind of hilarious because now like, um, I talk to my parents on the phone and they're like, Oh yeah. Um, so-and-so is queer and then so-and-so is queer. And, um, now there's a GSA, a Gay Straight Alliance in my high school, and that wasn't a thing when I was growing up. So it's nice to see that that sort of stuff is there for mm. um, so people, and that like if there was somebody, you know, there is if there is somebody like struggling with their identity, I feel like it's a lot easier now where I'm from um, to be able to um, come out or to fully embrace their identity and not feel afraid to do so. Mm. Yeah, it's so beautiful to see the transition in space and in places and even within like our elders' brainwaves as like when you first give them information and language, it, it's met with kind of a block because it's so new. But as more and more people start embracing and I guess normalizing like various ways that are often like as old as time, as old as creation stories for many indigenous people. Um, yeah, it becomes easier. And I'm seeing that more and more around the country and globally too. And it's really exciting to hear that about 
about your traditional homelands as well. I'm like, wow, okay, that's good. This is happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. That's what I'm so, I sort of, I'm like, I had that laughter too. I was like, that's neat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Now it's a thing. That's cool. <laughs> They're all filling you in. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's neat. Cool. Thanks, mom. <laughs> so um so the final thing that I ask um is just kind of like a a reflection or a sentiment um it's I I title it as your soapbox moment so if there was one thing that you want to say put out to the world put out into the universe um and this is your um, platform what would it be what kind of what kind of thought have you been processing that you just want to kind of put out there oh man um I want more people like me doing the things that I do and I think that you know there are a lot of um women and queer people and indigenous people like creating but I want more and I want to be able to um create a platform for people to do so um you know, like I, that's really important to me. And especially in like, if you're, if you, if you are queer and if you feel alone on a reservation, you're young, like I want you to be able to see somebody who you can look up to and who you can feel like, um, you're not alone, you know, mm. and, and to feel like you can be your true self. And so that's what I'm striving for in, in what I'm doing in my music. And I want more people to do that because it's really important. And I think that, um, you know, the, the way that we live right now, some people living on reservations, some people, living in an urban setting, some people not having tribal status because the government messed up and doesn't want to give them their tribal status back. Like we are all still indigenous people. We're all, you know, one sort of person and, um, in, you know, various identities and various, like, however you want to identify. And I think that we need to support one another especially especially queer youth indigenous youth like we need to raise those people up in the world so that's what um that's what i'm trying to do and i want other people to do that too
My name is Wes Harmon. Um, I'm from the Carrier-Watat Nation, which is a part of the Lake Babine Nation up north in BC. My pronouns are they, them. I identify as uh, trans non-binary. And what does your practice consist of? Uh, so I do kind of a bunch of different things. Um, so I have kind of different things that I jump between. I have my text-based work, which is sort of a I hesitate to call it poetry, but it is essentially visual poetry. Uh, and I also have some textile uh, beading work. Um, I'm working on this series of jackets that I've been calling uh, potlatch punk. So it's these jackets that I use traditional materials and methods and kind of blend it with DIY and punk kind of sensibilities around them. And then I also do drawing. I'm drawing a web comic right now uh, called Cryboy. Uh, it's <laughs> sporadic at the moment. It'll be like, I'll draw a bunch in verse and then it'll sit for a while. <laughs> mm, awesome. Yeah. And congratulations on being um, a fellow for the first um, RISE um, fellowship. It's really exciting. And um, and what does that mean to you? Um, what do you What do you feel like being a Rise Fellowship recipient means to you as someone who um, identifies as um, queer, gender gradient, um, as someone who's at the place you're at as an artist? What What does this fellowship um, award mean to you personally? It's really validating uh, in a way, just because. A lot of the things that I apply for, you're applying for with a, a whole web of different artists um, where the focus is not necessarily anybody who is queer or trans. Um, and the thing with the fellowship was like, I'm so excited and I feel so privileged to have received one, um, but I was just so excited that it existed. Like I was trying to get as many people as I knew to just apply for it to show that there is interest and that these things are needed. And so, so what benefits do you see this type of support having in the larger, like, queer and um, gender gradient community, um, primarily Indigenous folks? So, I know for me, like, these kind of, like, little bursts of money, like, it, it sucks to have to, like, center so much of our lives around what we need to cover financially. But when you have these chunks of money, it just, it lets, it it. It's relaxing, it's relieving, it lets you open up your mind to focus on the things that you actually care about and not have to worry so much about like, hey, that phone bill is like two months overdue or that credit card payment is just sort of haunting me. <laughs> um, yeah, and then as far as like with the Indigenous community, um, it's hard to integrate in certain places in the community when you are trans or queer and non-binary. Um, it's a lot of emotional work to be making your work and doing your own practice, but to come into spaces where you have to sort of work from the ground up just on a social level can be really distracting. How did you feel about the application process in general? Have, have you applied to various other grants? And, what, and if so, what did you feel like was a difference between this grant and others or other opportunities that you may have applied for? Uh, yeah, I've applied for a lot of grants and like kind of getting used to, especially the Canada Arts Council process of applying for grants. Um, and a part of their process is asking, like, how does your work contribute to your community? 
Um, and I've never been on a jury, but like when I read that question, my assumption is often that they mean like indigenous community exclusively, not like kind of the community, the queer communities within that. Um, so again, you're kind of having to like explain like I'm indigenous, but also I'm queer and there's some complications uh, sometimes within the community that come up through that. So applying for the fellowship was having these questions that are directed specifically towards identity um, actually made it so much easier to think about and so much easier to, to respond to. So you mentioned your 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 web comic. Is there any other exciting things that you have on your mind or on your plate that that you want to share, that you want to celebrate about the work that you're processing right now? Anything anything that you feel inspired to share about about where you're headed? Yeah, um, I'm doing a couple of residencies this summer. So I'm going to the Kwanlin Dune Cultural Center in Whitehorse for three weeks. Um, and that's kind of an interesting situation because it's uh, open studio for the duration of your time there. So the public can come in and see what you're working on. Uh, I'll mostly be focusing on my text-based work there. Uh, and then later this summer and into the fall, I'm going to do the Klondike residency in Dawson City. So, and that one's really exciting because it's just like space and time and yeah. Congratulations. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah. Is there anything that has any like word of words of advice or anything that an elder or somebody from your community, from your queer and um, gender gradient community has offered to you that you could share for young artists who are maybe struggling or feeling a little invalidated at the moment that has helped you to push through that, that you could share with our listening community at this time? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me when I'm, particularly when I'm working on the text-based work, but it does carry throughout all of the parts of my practice, is remembering that you can hold things back for yourself. Like, not every part of your identity has to be available for consumption. Um, You don't have to work to make your work look like it's indigenous or make it look like it's queer, because inherently it already is. Um, And just finding ways to talk about that. Uh, is up to you and uh, is done through conversations with your peers and with people that you trust. Mm. And then I'd like to offer you a soapbox moment. If you could say one thing to the world, what would it be? It could be anything. Um, that's such a big question. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Having been someone who's been in those places myself, um, where you don't feel like there's anyone listening or you feel like there's any anywhere to even go to. I'm always been glad that I've waited, uh, that I let the thought happen and let myself feel all of those things. Uh, because once you felt it and you started to process it, it, it does start to become more manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, and by waiting, you're also waiting for all the good things to happen. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like art has been um, a tool for you in survivance, basically? Yeah, it's always been something that uh, at first I did for myself. Um, and then the more I've been doing it, especially going through 
university um, for art specifically, uh, realizing how much of an impact it can have on other people and how much your voice is valued and your experiences do matter and how much they do relate to other people. If these walls could talk, stand still through hell, I do grow far. Fabian Romero, and I am a Purepecha from what is now uh, Michoacan, Mexico, and um, born there, came to the U.S. when I was seven. Um, I am the uh, daughter of Maria uh, Ortiz Romero and the grandmother of Eulalia uh, Ortiz and Anelina Viña, um, and uh, I am mainly uh, started out as a poet, and that was my main thing that I did. I, I just really liked doing poetry, and I got into it when I was really young, mostly because um, my family in, you know, which is, which is pretty common, like uh, the indigenous communities, the pueblos in Mexico, are pretty far from where there are schools. So my family... Uh, my mom has like a elementary school education. My my father uh, has a little bit more, um, but for the most part, the women in the family, because so much of our uh, so so much of what we needed depended on so much of like our survival depended on harvesting food. We just did not uh, my my. Uh, the women in my family just didn't really get a chance to go to school. Mm-hmm. So uh, we didn't, I was the first in my family to, my sister and I were the first to learn to read. Um, and so for me, writing was like, oh man, <laughs> the way to get it down. And it felt so liberating to write down the stories I could remember, what my mom had told me. I had a little book of sayings, you know, just things like that. Writing was so fun to me. Mm. Um, And then from there, I started activism, being active in the U.S. and with immigrant rights activism. Um, And uh, and it grew from there. I've done uh, film, film. performance art um and those are my main things right now digital poems are my main medium and with poetry um so i i very much want my my main goal with my work is to create something that uh you don't have to read to enjoy (laughs) you don't have to um like be college educated to enjoy. I'm getting my PhD at University of Washington. Um, and it's, it's huge. Like, you know, coming from where I come from, that's huge. And, um, and still I, 
I refuse to create anything that um, ha has to be completely disconnected from where I come from. I know that there will always be things that I create for um, legitimacy in the academy, but for the most part, I want to create the majority of my work to be shareable outside of that, of the, of the uh, academic institution. So mm. that's really my main goal with my work is how to like share it. Mm. Yeah. And what does being uh, the RISE Fellowship recipient mean to you as someone who identifies as gender gradient? Like what, what has this, what has this award what feelings has it brought up for you at the space where you're at right now? Um, you know, honestly, I was I was really taken aback when Dem Demian reached out and asked me if I would consider applying because I I didn't I think that this is very common among indigenous and uh, like artists that come from low poor backgrounds where people like our stuff and we're like, what is going on? <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought I was just making stuff because I needed to survive. I didn't think that people actually liked it. And, and so I'm still shocked. Like I still have that feeling where, where I, it's honestly very humbling to me that people like that people feel something when I, when, when I share my work with them and and so that continues to be like, um, you know, a little surprising to me. And so I, I was like, I was really like, I did the application, but I was like, okay, uh, this may not, this doesn't mean anything. Like I tried to kind of like put it in the back of my mind. So when I got it and when I got that call, I was so, um, it means a lot. I, I don't even know if I have the words for it because, you know, to identify or to claim my indigeneity uh, or to claim myself as Purapecha in the U.S. is a very political thing. Mm. Most people want to identify me solely as Mexican. And I get that. Like, I understand why that is. Like, um being Mexican is very political in the U.S. And I have, it has been a very painful journey for me to, to work through my own baggage of anti-Native stuff about being Native. And so to be at a place where I can claim it, I'm writing about it, and, and I'm writing about like, the concept of authenticity, how that <laughs> actually harms some of us, you know, I think that it, I think that it's a very nuanced concept. I think authenticity does help some native folks, definitely, you know, especially in the U S and I'm learning about that a lot as, you know, as, as I meet people from different tribes and nations. And, um, so I, I am learning about the nuances of that, but for some of us, it really harms us and it, and it puts us in a position where we see how, uh, how hard it is to be considered authentic. And so we decide just to reject it. Mm. Um, and I think that happened to my family 
Um, and I think that me like putting myself in a position to actually claim my Pura Pacha roots is opening up a big conversation, you know? Mm, yeah, no, that's, that's, it's such a, it's such an interesting space where we are at in our generation, you know, like, I think all of us right now are feeling these pressures of these boxes that no longer hold us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it's beautiful that when we can claim those spaces, and I, I really appreciate you talking about that and that vulnerability, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so, so where are you? So you're getting your PhD right now. Where are you at in your practice? Like what's, what's, what's on the fire right now for you artistically? Yeah. You know, uh, I actually came into or decided to get my PhD because I wanted to do something artistically. I was doing a lot of work on my own. Um, and like I did a little bit of touring as a poet and, and um, uh, the self-promotion that it requires doesn't come naturally for me. So I, I actually had a really hard time sustaining that practice because uh, I would get a gig at like a university and I was like, you know, yeah, this is it. I'm making it. And then that's it. That's the, that's all the money that I have for like three months. And it's just really hard to like do that continuously. Um, and I found that uh, it wasn't, it just wasn't sustainable. And so in the long run, I wanted to do something where I would be able to make a living. I think that, you know, I am, even, even though I believe that borders are violent and that they cause a lot of harm, the reality of where we're living at now is that as an immigrant, there's a lot um there's a lot of obstacles in my way to have a stable uh, life. And part of that stability comes from financial stability. And so I want to be financially stable. <laughs> and I thought, okay, being an artist and promoting myself by myself, because I was doing it by myself, um, is not sustainable. So I could do it with a, with a group of people, but that's also very hard because we would all have to like be in it at the same, same level. Um, and then I thought maybe I could just get my degree, a, like a PhD or an MFA and um, teach part-time or teach full-time and then do this. And then, um, so I, I decided to do a PhD after I, after I kind of weighed options, I, I got accepted to a few schools and I decided, um, to go to UW, uh, University of Washington in Seattle, Washington, um, in their gender, women's sexuality studies department, which is, which I chose it because it's very, um, connected to the native voices program, which is a masters and um film like they they do documentaries and they do film studies uh and native representation and so i was like okay this is a really good fit um my advisor is chicana and she's pretty like artistic and you know so i i decided to go on this path and um right now my dissertation is isn't is gonna be very creative i um I'm interested in continuing to do um, performance studies, and a big part of what I do right now is I've had I've been a part of this 
group called Ijex de su Madre. And it's like this like performance. It's an intergenerational performance group. We've been together for like 10 years. I'm in it with one of my elders and also, um, and also with one of my best friends. And we're like Central American, South American um, uh, native folks and Caribbean. And, um, and so we do performances based on the, you know, talking about race and borders and um, colonization and uh, anti-blackness and all of these concepts that I think like are so important to the conversation of indigeneity because it's oftentimes almost like uh, as taboo as like even claiming indigeneity for some Mexican people, you know? Uh, And I'm not saying all Mexican people are indigenous. I I don't agree with that. But I think that uh, for those of us that are, I think it, it can be very taboo to talk about it because... The, the nation of Mexico was created to kind of erase that in a way. Mm. Um, and so I think that, you know, for right now, um, my main, what, what I'm really putting a lot of energy into is uh, putting out a book of poetry that I, that I'm, I would, I'm going to apply for some like uh, prizes and see if I get published or if, I don't know if I, by luck, find a publisher that wants to publish me, that would be great too. Um, but that's definitely something I'm working on this summer and putting out some digital poems. And so they're basically like digital stories, but narrated with a poem. And um, I'm very intentional about having them captioned so that people that um, are, you know, deaf or hard of hearing can also enjoy my poetry and, um, and so that's that's something else that I'm working on. I already have one done. It's called uh, Three Roots, and it's about the um, Afro-Mexican and indigenous um, people, how we, like, it's kind of talking about the, the history of Afro-Mexicans and, um, and in Mexico and how that's connected to uh, indigenous, like the erasure of indigenous people in Mexico, too. Um, and so that's what I'm working on this summer is, um, more about that. Um, and, uh, eventually I'm going to do like more performances and doing more like multimedia performances. Um, and I have other ideas too. I'm honestly, I'm like, (laughs) if I can, if I can, if I can create more, I will figure out a way. And right now I want to do more more visual work. And so I'm going to figure out what that means for me. Um, I don't know if that means I'm not, I'm not much of, I'm a very slow illustrator. I do know how to illustrate, but, um, I, it could be that, or it could be like cross stitch or something, you know, something where I, I, I want to have like more, uh, visual performance, more visual kinds of, um, uh, mediums down because it really, I mean, create, I feel like I just grew up with this fire of creativity inside of me because all of my family members are storytellers. Um, you know, like coming from a family that is so, uh, that 
we, we were not like formally educated meant that we had all of these other skills that are so creative and, and passionate and that I am just trying to understand, you know, how I've been taught to be a creative person. I've been trained to be an art, an artist by my family. Um, and I think that that's something that I'm, that I'm trying to still understand, um, today, just, mm. just coming from, you know, the, the family that I come from and yeah. And what is your family's re reception to your work? Do you share it with your family? Is there a, um, a conversation that's formed around the way that you're working? Yeah, actually, I share a lot of what I do with my, I actually do a lot of work with my mom. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually pretty, I'm pretty close with my mom. And so I will interview with my mom for pieces or, um, and, or I will uh, work with my sister on things, you know, my, my family is actually pretty supportive, you know, I, um, I, my, my mom and my brother and my sister, and they're pretty on board with the work that I do. Like they think that it's, you know, it, it is very much like it open, it is a very, very vulnerable work. So for them to, to, uh, witness it is also for them to be vulnerable with me. And so they don't like, explicitly tell me anything that is like you know like <laughs> I don't you know how when you're around somebody and you know that they're that they're really processing I feel like that's how my relationship with my work with my creativity is with my family is that they are they they process and they like emote with me and they're and they and they show their support by just showing up to like my performances or, you know, they share my work. Um, so they're, they're very supportive. You know, um, I think that, that I am opening up some vulnerable stuff in, in the family. And so, um, and they, and my sister too is very creative. So she does her own, her own like poetry and, and, and other forms of creativity on her own too. So we're kind of like, I think we help each other in, in a way. Yeah. And in filling out the RISE application, um, did you have any um, experience, any relationship to the questions that were asked versus other applications that you may have approached or did you find it more difficult or what, what did that application process feel like you um, being centered in a different way, um, more, yeah. in, more indigenized, I guess. Yeah, actually it was one of the easiest applications I've ever filled out mainly because it felt so natural to me. Like the questions felt like, Oh, I've done, I've thought a lot about this, you know? And like, um, I've done a lot of my own, uh, internal processing about how my work is, uh, does have uh, have a conversation with gender and and sexuality and race and um, you know uh, settler colonialism? Like I feel like I've done a lot of that on my own, j mainly because I I have been forced to have a converse, a, a, a kind of a relationship to two different nation states. Mm -hmm. You know, the one in Mexico and the one here, which the relationship 
as an indigenous person is different, but it is like really, uh, it, I've never not thought about, about it, you know, like what it means for me to be, uh, to come from where I come from and to have the family that I have. Like I'm, I've thought about it since I was young. Mm. So the, so yeah, the, the application was actually a lot easier than in, in easy meaning like I, uh, like I had my work, I think spoke to what a lot of the questions already had, had asked, asked me to, to think about. Um, it was still, it was still like, you know, vulnerable, but it was, it also felt really, um, uh, it felt like I was supposed to apply. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so, and so that, in that way, it, it felt really good. I actually don't remember the questions that much. I just remember the application. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Cause yeah, sometimes they're so dry and you feel like you have to speak in this very like institutionalized manner, but um, yeah. that's good to hear that it felt easy in that way of ease. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably because I have filled out some grants and some applied for some big fellowships through the, through the academy, the, the university, and those take a lot from me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to other young indigenous people who may be a few steps behind where you're at, or um, maybe something that you wish you were told a few years ago? Yeah, I think, I think a few things. Um, First that if it's hard to do this by yourself, it's probably because we're supposed to be doing this with other people. Like, uh, doing that was a big lesson for me is trying to be an artist by myself is that that's actually goes against a lot of what I, how I've grown up and, and, you know, I've always been in community, um, find people, that will support you because a lot of the, a lot, the world isn't going to, I mean, um, uh, you know, the way the, the society is very anti, uh, native it's, um, you know, there's a lot of anti-indigenous sentiment, um, and very homophobic. There's a lot of homophobia and, um, and a lot of push to like be a representative of the best, like of the most norm normative kind of representative to your community. And so find people that are like you and remind yourself, remind each other that you're supposed to be who you are and just keep going because I, that's, that's how I've done it is I found people, you know, other gender, queer, two spirit, um, non gender, nonconforming people who like, loved me. And then the last thing is your soapbox moment. If you had one thing you could say to the world and this was your platform, what would it be? Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) It's so hard. I feel like I would have so many things to say to different groups, (laughs) you know, um, uh, right now, but like, um, for indigenous people, I would say that we're halfway there, um, that it took a thousand years for the Irish to be free. 
Um, and we're 500 years into it. So 500 years more to go. We can love our, our future generations are, uh, we can love them into continuing to love their future generations. And I, I think that that's something that we can do. Um, and for, uh, you know, any white people or, uh, settlers that are listening, I would say that, um, there's a lot of things that, uh, they could do to heal their ancestors trauma, meaning the, 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 cause I think it is like they've been handed down the trauma of like genocide of having genocide on their hands. And I think that they can do a lot and they can continue to do a lot to make our existence possible, more possible, mm -hmm. you know, support our struggles, give our land back, um, just make it possible for us to live and thrive um, and support the people that live now rather than, than talking about how great we are once we're dead, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm.